This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. About a standard orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take a seat. I said. You will obey. It is the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends. Welcome to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show about the, the original Star Trek series. This is a show where we dive into the characters, concepts, cliches, and other things that don't start with C about the original series. My name is Drew, or Landrew, and I'm the TOS editor for the network, and with me today is my co-host Mike from Commentary Track Stars. How's it going? It is fantastic. That's good. I'm, uh, I'm eager to talk about our, our subject today, which we're going to talk about... Well, Mike, why don't you tell them what we're going to talk about? Okay, well, you know, um, we are going to talk about Star Trek The Academy Years. I've never heard of it. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Now, anyone who knows me knows that I'm a big fan of what-ifs when it comes to movies. You know, alternate realities in which movies that didn't get made did get made, or movies that did get made got made in other versions or whatever. And this is sort of one of the ultimates for me. This was the movie which for a while there was planned to be the 25th anniversary movie, Star Trek VI in a sense. And it was a script uh, spearheaded by Harv Bennett, who of course produced Star Treks two through five, and written by David Lowry, who wrote, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, as well as Lakeview Terrace and Obsessed. And he's my favorite writer ever because he's got the best filmography ever. And one day we <laughs> will cover him on commentary, Trek Stars. But he wrote this script called Star Trek The Academy Years, which is essentially a, not, not a reboot, but a, a prequel to the original series, looking at a young Kirk, Spock, and McCoy primarily in their Academy days. So the script itself, I haven't seen anywhere. I, I haven't seen it surface. I'm, I'm sure that it is floating around out there somewhere. If anyone has a link, send it to us because I'd love to read it. But uh, the, the script was uh, reviewed... In 2006, by uh, uh, the guy known as Merrick on Ain't It Cool News, and he broke down the, the plot and whatnot. And you can find that uh, article still on Ain't It Cool News. I, I guess we'll provide a, a link in the show notes to it. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, yeah, Drew, um, how, how do you want to get started? What do you want to – do you want to sort of like give a, a synopsis of, of the – yeah, we'll, we'll okay. give a general synopsis. Okay. It's Star Wars. <laughs> and by Star Wars, you mean uh, Star Trek hope. 09? Or <laughs> I mean, it is <laughs> it is very similar to, yeah, the Star Wars in structure. It's similar to Star Trek 09 
in a lot of ways. I, I like that it's, well, it's, it's Prime Universe. It's actually McCoy telling the story about how they all became friends. Well, it is in the particular draft that he read. But mm-hmm. I have a feeling that that was a draft which was written after Shatner and Nimoy said, uh, we're not doing that. Because, you know, if you read interviews with Bennett and stuff like that, originally it was going to be Kirk giving the speech and then, you know, Spock and McCoy coming up to him afterwards and them all reflecting. And this is just McCoy by himself. So I think there's really kind of a generations thing going on where they couldn't get everyone back. It know? does seem like that. Like, yeah. well, we'll get Scotty and Chekhov to, to come <laughs> launch this enterprise because why not? Yeah, what else are they doing? <laughs> yeah, it 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 features uh Jim Kirk, his father was was lost in some kind of uh accident, a space accident. And so he grew up without a father, which is interesting for for Prime Kirk, but this I mean even this article was written before 2009, so Now is that true? I mean, what what is the continuity with his dad because I mean do do is he dealt with in the original series? No. He's not dealt with at all? No. Okay. All right. But they establish in the 2009 movie that... that yeah, he, he that died. That he had. Right. But he... That I mean, Prime he had... Kirk did have a dad. Yes. Yes. But so, so, so this script doesn't contradict Prime continuity in that sense, at least. Not necessarily. Okay. It, predict, it, it contradicts new Prime continuity based on alternate universe knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Go. 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 Go ahead. <laughs> right. But that wasn't written yet. So okay. So that doesn't count. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Kirk. It wants. They're. They're. His family's pressuring him to go to agricultural school. He doesn't want to. And he. He gets accepted into Starfleet, and uh, so is young Spock. But uh, Spock. This. This script seems to be all about racism. It. It apparently takes place. Uh, Starfleet wasn't uh the moral police the star trek the gene's utopia had not yet been established while kirk was in college like which is cutting it really close for yeah. me personally yeah that doesn't quite work for me either especially when you got like well i mean we'll get into it but yeah this this script's all about you know racism and uh people treating Spock awful because he's Vulcan and, uh, you know, Federation was cool with slavery and stuff. Yeah. The, just... the, the big bad guy is a classmate of, of theirs who gets kicked out for basically hazing Spock. And he goes back home to his planet, which, um, thrives off of slavery. Right. And then, they some politician on the planet abolishes slavery and, right and that makes this guy mad yeah so he's he's rushing home to kill this guy but there's also some other weird stuff too like it, it was a stretch in, uh, enough in 2009 when we had mccoy being a student but here here we've got it again they're they're roommates he's just an older student and they're you know Kirk and McCoy are roommates well yeah I don't know what the explanation is in this one but like that was one of the things I mean I wrote an article I wrote for for my for my blog which lasted about 2 days and which I think one person maybe looked at once accidentally 
Um, but back when they announced, you know, like the cast and everything of of uh, of Star Trek 09, I wrote this big long article about how none of this stuff makes sense in terms of the continuity. And this is back before we knew that it was going to be an alternate timeline. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, look, this doesn't make sense because of this. And how does he meet this person? And where's Gary Mitchell? And blah, 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 blah. And one of the things which I had trouble reconciling was the the age gap between McCoy and, and Kirk and how they're friends or whatever. And that was one thing while watching 09, I'm like, wow, they came up with an explanation which is probably better than the one in the prime universe. Yeah. I don't know. I, what, I mean, I, I had I had people in my dorm at my college. He I believe he was divorced, but he was 30 something and he lived in the dorms with us, yeah. you know? I I don't think I don't think that the uh I I mean I don't know what the explanation would be here, but I'm guessing it probably wouldn't have been as good as the one that they had in in 09 for yeah, but whatever. Anyway. Another weird thing is that Scotty is a professor. Yeah, well, he's older too, right? I didn't think so. I mean, Scotty's a little bit older than Kirk. I mean, even in like '09, he's. I guess in '09 there were like twenty and thirty-five. Yeah, okay. Yeah. A young professor. Well, I mean, but, what uh, is what 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 is Scotty's birthday? Everyone, all these people have <laughs> birth dates now. What 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 is it? To... Okay, so 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 looking at memory alpha. Kirk was born in 2233, and Scotty was born in 2222. So Scotty is 11 years older than these guys. So if they're in college, if they're like 18 years old, 19 years old, um, then Scotty would be like 29, 30. So he could could be a teacher, a professor of some sort, yeah. I can see that. And Bones is 100, so it makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and apparently in this in this particular retelling, uh, warp drive exists, but they don't use dilithium crystals. So, like, you can travel faster than light. It just takes forever to get up to speed. Yeah. And Scotty's trying to convince everybody to use dilithium crystals. Which, in some ways, is kind of, you know, structurally at least similar in that, you know, there is this older established guy who's an engineer who uh, sees the potential or is developing a new technology which um, which which isn't quite yet adopted by the Federation, and he uses that to some degree in the climax in order for them to uh, accomplish their their goal. So once once they get started and and uh of course Scotty being a little bit older knew Kirk's dad Kirk's dad was the uh uh test pilot for Scotty's dilithium program and I'm not sure why Kirk doesn't blame Scotty for his dad dying I don't know was but it, that's was it the dilithium crystals that blew him up or was he just going really fast do they actually say how It he said died? it disappeared Oh. Like the ship just disappeared, just like Archer's dog. <laughs> interesting, very interesting. Hmm. And then, and then it becomes uh, a basic. Uh, it seems to become just a basic college movie, uh, but with the hazing, like you said, and the bigotry, slavery, green bloods, lots of green bloods and red bloods, which, and then this time because it was written pre-enterprise they didn't have the 
whole first contact thing and the Vulcans holding people back. They were just being racist for the sake of being racist. Mm-hmm. Kirk, so, yeah, like you said, uh, Spock gets hazed. Uh, and he says It says that he was brutally mutilated, which is, uh, that's bad. <laughs> yeah. What exactly does that mean? Yeah, I don't like that. Um, so, after a while of the college stuff, uh, it turns out that of the initial hundred people who come in, only 20 are allowed to come up. And uh, Spock and Kirk have become friends because Kirk saved him, saved his life from the hazing thing. So uh, Kirk knows all about, or Spock knows all about the quantum mechanics that, that Kirk is failing at. And so Spock mind melds with him and gives him all of Spock's knowledge on quantum mechanics to cheat at this test. Kind of like the Kobayashi Maru. Which isn't mentioned in this in this at all. No. I wonder if they were going to save that for a <clears throat> sequel or something. Him cheating again? I mean, because he gets in trouble here for cheating. Because uh, they actually check their essays. After letting them make the cut, they realize that their essays are identical. I don't know if they wrote them down on paper or what, that the computer wouldn't immediately shoot it back out. <laughs> So they confess to cheating or confined to quarters, uh, while McCoy and Kirk's girlfriend are sent to an old ship called Enterprise, yeah. which is interesting because it's written like it's an Enterprise before the Constitution class version. The The quote that he says is an old ship of the line, a warhorse, battered and patched. Its design may not be familiar, but its name is USS Enterprise. Okay, so it's like, it's, it's basically Archer's Enterprise. It's the NXO-1. Right, which, which I can imagine in my head, when I when I got to that point in the script, I inserted the uh, refit version that Drexler made. Cool. That that CG model. So I started using that in my mind of the of this ship, which would kind of be cool. However, does the timeline line up, or or do they maybe you know just have it? It's like yeah, we're going to use this, and it is the Enterprise, but we've got another Enterprise floating around out there because when the Enterprise is decommissioned in Star Trek Three, well, they say it's twenty years old, but according to the continuity, it's kind of established that it's forty years old. Like it's been going right. around for like twenty years before um, Kirk took over, so that would mean it's been in use for probably like five years at this point. So like a, maybe a pre-refit? A pre-pilot refit before the series refit before the movie refit. Well, I mean, I think it's a different ship. But I guess okay. what I'm saying is like, I think that there is a brand new NCC-1701 flying around out there too. Oh. They're, they're and they're just using this as a training ship. Yeah. That would seem to be... But it's not, because it is doing its own thing. It's not a training ship, right? Yeah. Oh, because they're, they're, they're training. Yeah, well, it's okay. supposed to be a training mission, like Star Trek II, but it right. turns out that it's not, because yeah. that the ambassador who made slavery illegal on the villain's homeworld is, uh, they're sneaking him around. They're trying to take him home, uh, but the villain attacks and disables the Enterprise and holds everybody hostage, so... And meanwhile, back at home, Kirk and Spock were confined to quarters, so they decided just to drop out of Starfleet together and so that they're they're you know, they're gonna be friends. They're gonna join the merchant fleet like uh Adama and Saul did mm-hmm. uh in Battlestar Galactica. 
Um, but when they're turning in their resignations, they hear that uh, Kirk's girlfriend and McCoy are being held hostage. So they steal a prototype warp ship, much like the one that Kirk's dad was lost in, and they use dilithium crystals to catch up to them at the Enterprise. So they get on board, they have a big fight, and they get on board Enterprise and give it dilithium crystals so that it can warp away quickly, as opposed to slowly going to warp. You know, Nurse Chapel's on the ship, and it's just everybody's together. And then they graduate and then leave. They they all go their separate ways. They're, you know, Kirk isn't given a command with Spock as the first officer and McCoy as the chief engineer, you know, chief uh, medical officer and and Scotty's the chief engineer. And they just kind of all float away apart. Like, and it was nice seeing you guys. And so that makes the original series more of a uh, bringing the band back together thing, which I kind of like. Yeah. I mean, more so than 2009, where everybody's in the right place. Yeah. But in 2009, we're we're starting off a whole new, uh, a whole new series. Just being a prequel, a straight up prequel, where we know what happens, it would be okay with leaving it the way it is. Yeah, I mean, I can't say that I'm I'm very fond of the way that either one handles it. Uh, here it's it's interesting because I mean, you're you have the problem of you you want to tell the story when they're you know kids 18 years old and stuff but the way that the continuity is established they really don't um have their first adventure all together until you know season 1 of of the original series so you're essentially trying to do a prequel where no prequel should exist you know not in this form you know you can't have your cake and eat it too you can't Say, I mean, if you're going to do a prequel, you got to do it. You can't have Kirk and Spock together. You just can't. It, it doesn't make any sense. And this explanation is, in a lot of ways, very uh, Star Trekky. In that you can have this adventure, and they have this adventure, and you know, you've got the Enterprise there, you've got the three. They're all doing their thing, and then at the end, it goes back to zero, as if none of this ever happened. You know, it almost plays like a novel. Whereas in the uh, in the JJ verse, there's this accelerated thing like we were talking about, you know, uh, before, and um, all of these people are sort of put together instantly where they hadn't been before. I don't particularly like that either. It's like there's nothing to say. Like, well, there is stuff to say that that wouldn't happen, but I guess there's nothing to say that that wouldn't happen since it is an alternate timeline. But to me, I mean, if I were doing it, I'd be like, you know what? Why don't we just not have Chekhov in this movie? <laughs> but, 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 you know, so, so things like that that they did, which I understand why they did is why they made the movie. And, you know, that you got to say, like, hey, continuity, you know, maybe we should focus on telling a good story instead of being, you know, so precious about little, uh, you know, minutiae. But, I I am precious about little minutia, you know. Yes, and uh, <laughs> and and that that type of thing bothers me, and it bothers me here too, you know, because I think what 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 ended up happening is while being precious about the minutia, in some ways, they also uh, sort of filled in the gaps in ways that didn't make any logical sense, 
and uh, result in the story basically having no resonance or, or meaning or purpose. That's I'm saying that as someone who hasn't actually read the script, I don't know, but based on you know what this article is saying, it seems problematic. Yeah. So do you think that it would have worked it for the 25th like as Star Trek 6, do you think that that it would have worked? I mean without I mean we're talking here, you know, in 2009 we were freaking out about other people playing Kirk and Spock with them still being, you know, of age to still do movies. Like would would the audience have been okay with it? Would would we been accepting with the with the weird continuity things, or do you I, think it would have maybe gone through a couple more drafts after this and been completely different? I I think the audience would have been okay with it. Um, I think the cast would not have been okay with it, which is why it didn't happen. Um, that's my guess anyway, uh, based on you know various other things. I think I think it was in the Star Trek movie memories where uh, um, Shatner does talk about it. And how they didn't want to come back just to make a cameo, especially for the 25th. They wanted to be the stars, you know. Yeah. First off, not not taking into account what Star Trek VI is, okay? Let's just say we can have one of two things for the 25th anniversary. We can have a, a origin story with a whole new cast, and or we can have the final adventure of the original series. Which Well, which, which would you prefer? Well... I I I would have preferred the last movie, especially coming off of Final Frontier. Yeah, um, a, a proper send off with the signatures at the end and the whole cast and everybody having a part to play in the plot. It it definitely would work as opposed to trying to reboot it on an anniversary. Yeah, because because we're kind of rebooting it. I mean, I'm I'm sure that a later script. Uh, a later draft would not have included the, and we all went our separate ways never to talk again, mm-hmm. you know, just in case the young cast hit it off really well and they could make more young Star Trek movies. But this was, this was post next generation. So they know that the people are going to be okay with Star Trek without Kirk, Spock and McCoy, but maybe they thought that it would, I don't know. It's don't kind know. of a days of future past s- scenario. You know, we got X-Men first class and then, you know, you you want to have the, you know, leaving it open to a sequel to the prequel, even though, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I, I definitely think that it wouldn't have been as good of a way to celebrate the 25th anniversary as a final voyage of the original series. And I, I totally agree with you that they needed a proper send-off and that Star Trek V was not that, and that, uh, you know, what they ended up, you know, doing the the route that they ended up going was the the correct route to take. I'm not opposed to doing a prequel. I'm not opposed to this, you know, script or anything like that. But if you're trying to celebrate the 25th anniversary, I think that celebrating it with the original cast and their final adventure makes more sense. And then make this Star Trek Seven if you want. Of course, we had Next Generation coming in, so that wasn't going to happen. Now, with the knowledge of what Star Trek VI is, The Undiscovered Country, which do you think is better? I would say, plot-wise, I, I think that six 
Maybe because we've seen the finished product and we've seen it so many times and we're just reading, you know, some guy from Ain't It Cool News' recap, semi-snarky recap of the of the script. Um, I still think that Star Trek Undiscovered Country would be the better choice. It's more timely. Sure, it'd be, it's cool to see, you know, that racism and slavery were, uh, you know, Kirk helping to abolish racism and slavery would be neat and all, but I like seeing Kirk, our Kirk, William Shatner Kirk, struggle with, uh, with racism, with the, with the whole, uh, forgiving the Klingons, but not forgetting and, uh, helping them to survive and working with them to, to find out, you know, the conspirator, the whole Scooby-Doo plot. I mean, it's, it's all, it's all, it's fun, but it also makes you think, and it was very timely for the time, which is what Star Trek is and should and always is, is a metaphor for the time. Yeah, I agree. Again, we don't know what the, the finished product would have been like. And and even though, you know, uh, the guy Merrick on, on Any Cool News is kind of snarky, he's also very uh, complimentary of it. You know, he says it's surprisingly solid and that it has a good take on uh, the the dynamic and and between the characters and everything like that and you know he he does give it a positive review in in a sense however star trek 6 knowing what star trek 6 is it's you know to me the best of the original series movies it's the best adventure of uh, the original series cast if you ask me and I think it is also the absolute perfect finale to the original series, which is something that they had never had. And, um, you know, even even on paper, you know, just the idea of it's like, well, who, okay, do we want to do the the script, which was written by the guy who wrote Star Trek V, or do we want to do the script, which was written by the guy who wrote Star Trek II? <laughs> um I don't know. Yeah. I'd, I'd go. I'd go with the the Nicholas Meyer script myself. I don't know. Why? Not nothing against David Lowry. I love that guy. I seriously, straight up love that guy, but for different reasons. <laughs> and you know, I mean, the you know, I mean, if you have a chance to get you know Nicholas Meyer to come back and and make a movie, then you you take that, you know. And uh, same thing with you know the original series cast. I think. Yeah. Especially if you build it as a finale, you know, if it was just going to be like, if it was going to end up being Star Trek five, then I'd be like, okay, no, no, we need to do something special. But that special thing that you do is you bring in your A-list cast and your A-list crew and you make a finale, you know, you put all of your effort into this thing and make it the best. And that's what they did. Do you think that this script or something based on it could be produced now? Kind of a Prime Universe prequel? Let, let, let's say that 2009 didn't happen. Let, okay. Let's say that they're they're trying to bring Kirk and Spock back. Prime Universe, could they have used this script? With well, yeah. some changes, obviously. Post-Enterprise. Enterprise messes with a lot of the the things about this script. Yeah, that's true. Well, and that is an in- interesting thing. I mean, back in 06 as well, uh, I don't know if it was Trek Nation or Trek Today, uh, they, they did an interview with Harv Bennett and where he uh, talks about a number of things, including Star 
Trek, the Academy years, and he talks about how he never really gave up on it, and he still hasn't given up on it. Well, maybe at this point he has. But he, <laughs> he never really gave up on it, and he, he still um, was planning on, well, not really planning, but trying to, to, to push it uh, even after, you know, Enterprise. And when, basically, when um, he says here, I'm assuming when Nemesis bombed at the box office and it was clear that Next Generation movies were done, he had another meeting with Paramount. Um, this sounds like it would have been probably about 2004. And uh, Sherry Lansing, who was there at Paramount, was uh, uh, very keen on the idea. But then the, t- the television department didn't... Uh, want them to do it because Enterprise was on the air at that point in time and they didn't want there to be two prequels. Mm. And and then there was a regime change in there somewhere. And uh, I mean, who, who knows? Who knows well, with all the studio politics and, and, and everything. But as recently as 2004, Bennett was still trying to get this thing made. So could it be done today or in a reality where the JJ-verse doesn't exist? Totally, you know, and I think that this would have been a very interesting way to go. And I think that, you know, when they went to JJ and his team, and I know that JJ and his team wanted to do a a series with, you know, Kirk, Spock, and, and Bones. That was sort of like their big thing. And, and, you know, they talked about how they didn't really have any interest in doing something with, you know, new characters or anything like that. They wanted to get back to, you know, uh, Star Trek classic. Um, they could have easily gone this route. They chose to go another route, which I think is just as valid, but, um, there's no reason why they couldn't do it. Yeah. Now, can they do it now that we have the JJ verse already? Okay. I think you're pushing things there then just, yeah, a little, I don't little, think little, audience, little much. No. I don't think audiences would accept that. We can't reboot the reboot. We can't reboot the, we can't unboot the reboot. Well, I mean, that's what they're trying to do with Superman, Batman. Yeah, sort they're of. They're rebooting, side-booting the reboot. <laughs> <laughs> sort of, yeah, yeah. But but that, that those are, that's also a different scenario in that there are so many different incarnations of, of both of those characters. Like this, it still is one continuity, you know? Right. I, I, I like how J.J. them handled it. They did the, they did Starfleet Academy, but we can't complain about you know, the continuity errors that these produce and why nobody mentions it. It's because these are different versions of the character. We can still complain. We can still complain. And we do. And we do. <laughs> it's been fun talking about alternative versions of Star Trek Six or the Academy years and Star Trek 2009, but that's just one of the Trek topics we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. <laughs> Rewriting TOS Season 1 with Mark Cushman. This is a show that was an excellent show, let's face it. We, you know, it was, I think, one of the best shows ever made. Certainly the best show at that time. I think the best written show. Uh, because Gene Roddenberry was so determined that every episode would have a, a strong theme and make a statement. Earl Grey. TNG Season 8. Or, or no, this is it. The Traveler is a Q, and so the Traveler shows up with Wesley, Q shows up and like... Q, what are you doing here? I go by T now. The Orb. 
Cisco as Captain versus Commander. I mean, with the war and everything going on, there's a part of him that's really hardened. But at the same time, yeah. when it comes to the people that are around him, whether it's uh, Cassidy, which, you know, the idea that he would forgive Cassidy, I wouldn't see him doing that in the first few seasons. The Ready Room. Ready. But the ending of the episode is Data flashing a flashlight. And I think that's kind of a lame ending. I just wanted to bring you. You wanted to say the end of the episode was Data flashing people on the bridge. <laughs> I know. It's also part of Daniel's fanfic number 58. To the journey! The 37's commentary. I had a dream the other day where I met Robert Beltran in a Macy's. And I like totally geek out on him, but I try to say like, oh no, I totally have also know you from your Hispanic and Native American plays. And uh, like I was trying to like BS my way through saying I only know you from Star Trek Voyager. Did it work? Uh, I woke up. Warp 5. Horror on Enterprise. It's not just losing control of yourself. It's the fact that, that zombies, even zombie Vulcans, cannot be reasoned with. Some would say that normal Vulcans can't be reasoned <laughs> with, Kate. Commentary, Trek stars. Harlan Ellison recap. Well, I also think it's entirely possible that Harlan Ellison has encountered a lot of people ripping off his stuff because he's actually a prophet. And he just saw the future and thought, that's a good idea for an Outer Limits episode. Literary Treks. Q and Trelane Comics. Kirk is actually doing the, the hands thing that he does, you know, where he's, he's, he's trying to make a point with his hands. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's actually doing it in the comic. It's <laughs> fantastic. It feels just like Kirk. <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can stream and download files from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. Let's tell everybody where they can contact us if they want to share their thoughts on uh, on alternate timelines and alternate movies. They can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to show and choose standard orbit. And that'll come to both of us by email. You can also use the tab on the right-hand side of any page to send us a voicemail using your webcam's microphone. And you can talk to us and other listeners in our forums at trek.fm slash forums. In social media, you'll find the network at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So be sure to like us there and follow us on Twitter under username trek.fm. Mike, where can people find you on the internet? Well, they can find me on trek.fm doing commentary Trek Stars with my co-host Max. And you can also find me on my website commentarytrackstars.com where I do commentary track stars off topic with Max and our friend Brandon. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter at ComTrackStars. And you can find me on Twitter at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E. And you can find me on various uh, shows throughout the network, including Commentary Track Stars and The Ready Room. Before we go, we'd also like you to please support our sponsor, who makes it possible for us to bring Standard Orbit and our other shows to you each week. Our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible's a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read, but never thought you'd have time for. Audible's the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from, and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, Audible is something for everybody. While they don't have any books about Starfleet Academy, not even Shatner's collision course starfleet academy book that he wrote a few years ago they do have the novelization of star trek 6 which i've read it's good the novel uh is read by james Dewan, and it has extra scenes 
including a prologue where Chang attacks a planet where Carol Marcus has been uh, uh, been visiting one of the other people from regular one. And uh, it, she gets injured and she's on life support. And that's part of why Kirk and then Kirk's called from the hospital to go meet with Spock to find out that he's supposed to save the Klingon Empire. And here the Klingon are doing sneak attacks on his ex-girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that from the book? I don't remember that, um, but I read it like 20 years ago, so that might have some, something to do with it. Well, the end of that scene is what's uh, what the sampler is, so you get a taste of Jim's, James Doohan without doing his Scotty accent, but doing his Kirk impression, <laughs> which is pretty great. I imagine it would be. <laughs> As a Trek.fm listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic books you've yet to read or that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank you and Audible for supporting Standard Orbit and Trek FM. And if you would like to personally support Standard Orbit, the network, and our programming, visit trek.fm slash donate. We have eight alien-themed badges and art prints as a thank you for your contribution, and you can mix and match badges and art prints. There are different levels of donation to choose from, and your contributions help us cover the cost of production, storage, and bandwidth needed to bring Standard Orbit and our other shows to you every week. Well, Mike, thanks for another great episode. Um, I like talking what-ifs. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of them out there. I'm sure that we will, uh, we will re- revisit this, this uh, topic. You know, there's a bunch of Phase 2 stuff. You know, we could talk about the, the whole Romulan War script thing. And I mean, the one which which I think we we should really talk about is the uh, the pitch that uh, J. Michael Straczynski and Bryce Zabel did for their Star Trek reboot TV show. Ooh, yeah, I've got I've got that that thing. So uh, the whole their whole pitch. So that should be really awesome. interesting. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landrew. Mr. Chekhov, take us out of orbit, ahead, warp factor one. Hi, sir. 